Let me ask you a question. You may never really thought much about it, but do you ever think about why we do things that we do in our worship services? In other words, is there any biblical authority to do some stuff we do? For example, we've already done some things this morning, like we, we've welcomed the guest, okay? We always, we always welcome the guest. Um, we recognize special birthdays and anniversaries. For example, uh, when people reach the age of 90, at starting at age 90, 91, 92, 93, just however many 90s they can go, uh, we just, to the glory of God, want to recognize them and thank the Lord for that. And then special anniversaries, like wedding anniversaries, we do those, like the 50th wedding anniversary, then the 60th wedding anniversary, and then after number 60, it's every five years, like 65, 70, 75, 80, 85, 90, how high you think I ought to count? Well, now, let me say this quickly. People need to let us know about that. Sometimes people prefer not be any mission made whatsoever. That's their business. But we're always honored to do that. Then, but there's, there's no real biblical authority for recognizing a special situations like that. And then we promote things in worship services. We talk about things that we're asking the people to pray about and do. But the fact of the matter is there's really no biblical authority for any of that. Now, on the other hand, we do other things in the worship service and there is biblical authority. For example, we've been doing this morning. We are singing songs of praise to God. We will as we always do, we will open the Bible and we will teach from the Word of God what God's Word says. There's biblical authority to that. We, we baptize. You just saw that earlier. We'll see it again in the second service. We have biblical authority of that, for that. And then we always appeal for people to give their heart to Jesus, to be saved. We make absolutely no apology about that. It's the most important thing we ever do in a worship service is encourage people to be saved. There is biblical authority for that. Now, all that said, here's the question. Is there biblical authority for the Lord's Supper? At the end of my message in our preparation time this morning, uh, we're going to take these little packets and we're going to like... We'll eat the bread and we'll drink of the cup. Now, here's the question. Is there biblical authority for doing that? Is this just something churches thought up? Or is there something in the Bible about that? Well, the answer is yes, there is. And let me mention very quickly two, two matters. We're going to look in the Word of God and see them. First of all, here's what we need to understand about the Lord's Supper. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. It was his idea. It was not man's idea. It was not the church's idea. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. Now, you can read that in your Bibles in Matthew, and I put the little scriptures up in case you might want to jot them down and go back later and look. But like in Matthew chapter 26, in Mark chapter 14, in Luke chapter 22, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and then it's not on the screen, and I deliberately did not include it, but in John chapter 13, where we read about Jesus being in the upper room, the emphasis there is on the washing of the feet. So there's really not much detail about the Lord's Supper in John chapter 13. But in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and 
1 Corinthians. Now, with that said, would you open your Bible, please, to Luke chapter number 22. I want us just to show you where we have uh, uh, biblical authority to do what we're doing this morning. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. So look in your Bible, if you will, Luke chapter 22, and let's maybe begin with verse number 14. Luke chapter 22, verse 14. The Bible says, when the hour had come, Jesus sat down and the 12 apostles with him. And he said to them, with fervent desire, I have desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I will no longer eat of it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. Then Jesus took the cup, gave thanks and said, take this and divide it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, he gave thanks and he broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body, which is given for you. Now these next two words, I have them circled in my Bible. I have them underlined. Jesus said, do this. He's talking about what we're going to be doing this morning. He instituted the Lord's Supper, and he went on to say, in remembrance of me, and likewise the cup. So here, here's the point that I make as we begin this morning. We have not only biblical authority, we have biblical command from the Lord Jesus himself to do what we'll be doing this morning. Now that said, I want you to look over in the book of 1 Corinthians in chapter number 11. So you just turn in your Bible, it's very important you see this. I want us to see what the Apostle Paul has to say about the Lord's Supper. Now, Paul's letter that we know as 1 Corinthians is earlier than Matthew, Mark, and Luke. So he got no information from them. He got his information from the Lord Jesus. It is the earliest record we have in the Bible of the Lord's Supper. Some call it by different names. Communion, a holy communion. Liturgical churches would use the word Eucharist, which just means to give thanks. All of that is good. Talking about the very same thing. Now look what we're talking about is there biblical authority for the Lord's Supper? Well, yes, there is. Number one, Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper. He started it. It was his idea, and he commanded us to do it, and there's reason for that. Now, look in verse 23, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23. Paul said, for I received from the Lord. Now, he got this information from Jesus himself that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the same night in which he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Now here it comes again, do this. Jesus instituted the Lord's Supper, but why? Well, here's the second biblical authority that we have for doing what we'll be doing this morning. He said, in remembrance of me. Now, don't turn back, but in Luke's gospel, in remembrance of me appears one time. In 1 Corinthians chapter 11, as God gave the apostle Paul these words, this whole idea of remembrance appears a second time. 
Look in verse 25. Said in the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do. There's our command from Jesus. As often as you drink it, and here a second time, in remembrance of me. So, what is our biblical authority for taking the Lord's Supper? Well, it's to remind us of the most important day, the most important day in the history of the world. And that is when Jesus died on the cross for our sins. So why do we take the Lord's Supper? Number one, Jesus started it. He instituted it. He commands us to do it. Number two, to remember. What are we to remember? The most important day in the history of the whole world. What? That day when Jesus hung on the cross, shed his blood for your sins and for my sins and the sins of the whole world. Now, as we think about all that, here we are on Labor Day weekend. I do not remember ever in my life observing the Lord's Supper on Labor Day weekend. Nothing's certainly wrong with it. In fact, as you think about it, there's something maybe unusually right about it. Now, Labor Day. What is this deal, Labor Day? Well, back in the late 1800s, the Congress of the United States adopted the first Monday in September as a national holiday. They named it Labor Day, the purpose being to honor workers. That's, that's how Labor Day ever came about in the first place, to honor workers for what they do and the contribution that they make, that there would be a day to honor them that they could have a day of rest. Now, think about it. Here we are on the Sunday of Labor Day weekend. <laughs> We're about to remember what Jesus did. Now think about this. He became the worker so you and I could experience his rest. Now, put that in your mind, and as you do, turn over to the right in your Bible to the book of Hebrews. I want you to turn to Hebrews chapter number four, and I want us to think about what Jesus did, that we, he was the worker. What did he do? Well, his work <laughs> enables you and me, all of us who put our faith and trust him to experience this rest that God's word promises. Now in Hebrews chapter four, look in verse one. The Bible says, therefore, since a promise remains of entering his rest, here it is, let us fear lest any of you seem to have come short of it. For indeed, the gospel was preached to us as well as to them, but the word which they heard did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in those who heard it. You see, Bible knowledge is alone not sufficient. Bible knowledge without faith, <laughs> there's no profit to that. There's no value to that. You, you may have much information up here, but if it's not mixed 
and join together with faith, what the Bible is saying, it, it really is not sufficient. It really does no good. He goes on in verse three to say, for we who have believed do enter that rest, talking about a spiritual rest as God has said. And then the writer to Hebrews quotes from Psalm 95, and look at these words. So I swore, God said, in my wrath, they, that is Israel, they shall not enter my rest. Talking about this earthly rest that God's people in that day and in our day can experience. It goes on to say, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. The finished work that God purposed in eternity past uh, is a finished work in Jesus Christ. And that is what he's saying. Now, turn back in your Bible, if you will, to Psalm 95. I want to show you something I think you'll find to be very interesting. The writer of Hebrews is referring to this. I want you to see it in your Bible. Back in Psalm 95, let's look down about verse number 8. Verse 8 says, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion, as in the day of trial in the wilderness. Talking about how the children of God disobeyed God on their way to the promised land. When your fathers tested me, they tried me, though they saw my work. So even though they saw all my miracles, they kept testing me. They wouldn't believe. For 40 years, I was grieved with that generation and said, it is a people who go astray in their hearts, and they do not know my ways. Now watch this in verse 10. We just read this a moment ago in Hebrews. So I swore in my wrath, God said, they shall not enter my rest. Now listen, God's rest in this life, as in their life, not talking about heaven, we're talking about the promised land. But as we live the abundant life because of what he did in this life, what does it, in, what does it involve? It involves peace. It involves plenty. And it involves unbroken fellowship with God. Now, that's when a person's really at peace. When a person is really at peace, and we can have that peace in Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I'm peace. And when we have Jesus, we have him. When we have him, we have peace. Not only that, we have plenty. And not only that, we have unbroken fellowship with God. Now, if you'll take your bulletin, I want us to take that little bit of information and quickly go through what we have here to kind of see where we're going. First of all, in your bulletin, if you just look at it, we simply say God's plan for man from the beginning was that man have intimate fellowship with him. That's, that's why God ever made man in the first place. Why did God make man his own image? So God could have intimate fellowship with him. And what did God do? He placed him in a garden. We know it as the garden of Eden. It, it was like, it was like heaven on earth. And there Adam was, there Eve. And what happened? They messed it up. They messed it up for themselves. They messed it up for all of us. <laughs> they messed it up for everybody that's going to follow us. Sin entered the world. But now get this in your mind. God had a plan. 
before he ever created man and that plan, very simple, that mankind have intimate fellowship with him, the creator. Now, look in your bulletins removed from that. When Adam and Eve sinned, here's the good part. When Adam and Eve sinned, it did not change God's plan. It changed what? It changed the location of God's plan. From where? From the garden to heaven. God's plan didn't change. When when God created man, God's plan for man was to have unbroken fellowship with him. Adam and Eve messed that up. God's plan didn't change. You see, the Bible, God says, I do not change. See, that's the great thing about God. He's the same yesterday and and forever. His plan never changed. The location of his plan changed. And of course, Jesus is the way to that new location. Jesus said, I'm the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. So God had a plan. It did not change. The location changed. And then build on that. If you look in your bulletin, Jesus was born. Get the big picture. To live. To die. To live again forever. Now, others had died You read it in the Bible and brought back to life. Jesus raised Lazarus, but Lazarus died again. All these people we read about that died, they died again. When Jesus died and rose, he never died again. So Jesus, born to what? To live and to die and to live forever. Why is that? To make God's plan possible and available, now get these words, to all people. That'd be a good sermon, that part right there. The Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If I knew no other verse in the whole Bible but John three sixteen, For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. This idea that, you know, God elected some to be saved and he elected others to be doomed and damned and go to hell. That is just not what I believe the Bible teaches. Now you can settle wherever you want to settle. I believe the blood of Jesus cleanses all people from their sins. If they what? If they repent from their sins and put their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus, they will find their eternity with God in heaven. And to me, that's the great thing. But if you stop and think about it tomorrow, look at that last little thing. Jesus is born to live, to die, to live again forever, to make God's plan possible and available to all people. You see, that there had to be, listen, there had to be Bethlehem before there could be Golgotha. And there had to be Golgotha (laughs) before there could be a resurrection. I mean, Jesus had to be born in order to die. And he had to die in order to experience the resurrection. And have you ever thought what a, you talk about a mess. This whole idea. See, you, you can't, we're having the Lord's Supper in a moment, but it's not, you can't, You can't pull them apart. He had to be born in order to die. He had to die in order to be uh, raised from the dead. And because he is raised from the dead, were it not for the resurrection, go back in in 1 Corinthians, but this time go to chapter 15. 
And I want you just to see this, maybe mark it in your Bible. Were it not for the resurrection, oh, what a, what a dilemma we would be in today. Without the resurrection, <laughs> your faith would be absolutely useless. It'd be worthless. Look in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Look down in verse number 14. It says, if Christ is not risen, then our preaching is empty, useless, and your faith is also empty. In other words, Jesus in the gospel of Matthew, beginning in chapter 16, he told his disciples three specific times about the fact that he would be killed, he'd be buried, but that he would rise from the grave. He told them about it. No doubt that they didn't comprehend it. So he told them a second time and he told them a third time. Now think about something. If Jesus himself had said, I will experience resurrection and it didn't happen, then if we say, well, you know, he made a little promise there, but he broke that promise. Well, if he broke that promise, then how do we believe all these other promises? But here's the good news. He didn't break that promise. He kept that promise. He did exactly what he said he would do. And because of that, our faith is not empty. Our faith is not useless. The same God that we put our faith in that promised the death, burial, and resurrection of his son, that faith works in every area of life. But not only that, if it weren't for the resurrection, we would be here today, all of us here today, guilty of all of our sins. Look in verse 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile, but not only that, you're still in your sins. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? And you're not still guilty in your sins. You know, how do we know that? Because we can trust the God who said, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to die. I'm going to be buried. I'm going to rise again. And he did all three. And then he says, because of that, (laughs) you're not guilty in your sins anymore. If you've repented, turn from them and put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But oh, here's, here's, here's a very sad and somber thing. Were it not for the resurrection, listen, your family members and your friends that were all Christians, they were all believers that have died. Let me tell you, without the resurrection, where they'd be? Perished. 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 Look down in verse 18. Still talking about what was mentioned in verse 17. If Christ is not risen, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. Oh man, that's the most horrible thought in the world. Horrible thought in the world. Just a very few weeks ago, John and I flew to do the service for my uncle who those of you who've been here a long time know he was more than an uncle. He was like my brother. I grew up much of my boyhood life in my grandparents. And my uncle never married. He stayed there all of his life. He was 10 years older. And he just always functioned in the role 
Condes Lai older brother. And we stood and looked at the grave and I thought, boy, <laughs> he's not going to perish down there. He's not there. That, see, that, many of you recently have had loved ones and family and friends who were Christians, were believers, and physically they died. Aren't you glad today they're not perished? Could we have an amen to that? Praise God. I'm telling you what, let me say this. Believer friend, I hope there's joy in your soul this morning that when you die, like, you won't perish. You won't perish because of the resurrection. It's an amazing thing. Look, look in verse 20. Let me read it. It says, but now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For since by man came death, by man also came the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam, excuse me, for as in Adam all die, even so in Christ all shall be made alive. Hey, let me conclude before we eat the bread and drink of the cup. Let me read those verses out of the New Living Translation. Listen to this. It says, but in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of a great harvest of all who have died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, that's Adam, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man, that's Jesus. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, look at this, listen to this. Everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. Man, I don't know where you are in life. I'm 81. I know I don't look it. I think the birth certificate's totally an error, but I'm smart enough to know this. I'm somewhere out in wherever I am in life. I mean, like, there's a lot more of my life behind me than there is ahead of me. Now, we're blessed in this day and time we live. You know, they can just replace our parts, you know. You know, I had a new knee put in. Yeah, they can put in a lot of new things. But one day, one day, there's nothing down there they can do. But here's what God has done. And it's all built around what we're going to remember this morning. The greatest day in the history of the world when Jesus died for our sins. And because of that, think about this. One day, <laughs> I'm going to have me a new body. And you're going to have a new body. And we're not going to perish. We're going to live forever. Because why? Because of what we're going to remember this morning. What he did. Now, I want you to bow with me this morning. I want us to do in preparation kind of two different phases here. Probably without question, most all of you today are believers. You're Christians. Okay? But the Bible is very clear before we eat the bread and drink of the cup that we are to confess all of our known sins that we've not asked forgiveness. Now, you know, when we ask God to forgive us, we don't need to ask God to do that anymore. If we, if we mean it in our heart and we're 
we are with God's help turning away from whatever it is we ask God to forgive us. You need never ask God to do that a second time. If you do, you didn't trust him the first time. See, if you ask God to forgive you and you mean it in all your heart and you repent of whatever you're asking God to forgive you, it's done. It's done. Don't let the devil bring that back again. But this morning, all of us, I'm not going to start making a list of things, but there are all kind of sins in this room this morning. We're all sinners. We're all sinners. It could be what you might say is it's a sin that really doesn't matter. You, you hate somebody. <laughs> Matters to God. May not matter to you. It should matter to you. Or you've got a bad thought about this or whatever. I'm just asking you, Christian friends, this morning, maybe, maybe it's just you've doubted that God's going to take care of a need that you have. It's not like you don't believe in God. You're just going through something hard, really hard. And you just say, you know, God says he's going to help me in these things. I just don't see it yet. Well, yet's not come. <laughs> you just, you keep your knowledge mixed with faith. It'll bring profit. But Christians now asking God's forgiveness. Now, others here today, you say, Pastor, I certainly believe in God. I wouldn't be in church. But I, I don't know that in my life I've ever had a time where I've realized I'm lost. And I've just, I need Jesus to forgive me my sins and come into my life and make me a Christian. Or maybe you say, you know, I just don't have complete peace about that. Not 100%. This morning, get that settled. You can do it. If you say, how do I do it? All right, I'm going to lead you in a prayer. Now, the prayer doesn't save anybody. Jesus saves. But if you mean in your heart the idea of this prayer, based on the authority of God's Word, Whosoever shall call upon the Lord shall be saved. Jesus stands at the door and knocks. If any man hears his voice and opens the door, he says, I'll come in. This morning, if you just feel something inside of you saying, today, you need to get your soul right. You need to prepare to meet God. See, one day all of us will meet God. Everybody's going to meet God. It's where you meet God that matters. Christians are going to meet God at the beam of judgment. Lost people, unsaved people, they're going to meet God, but not at the beam of judgment. They're going to meet God at the great white throne judgment. I just beg you this morning, don't do that. Don't do that. You don't have to do that. All you need to do is just pray this prayer. Say, Lord Jesus, I want my soul to be right with you I admit I'm a sinner I'm asking you right this moment forgive me of my sins come into my life and make me a Christian I trust you to save me Jesus some would say I've prayed something like that a bunch of times but I just I don't know look you can know the Bible says we can know that we have salvation this morning, settle your salvation. Just say, Lord, I, I think I'm saved, but I want to know for sure. Because 
I, like all mankind, will one day physically die. I don't want to perish. I want to spend eternity with unbroken fellowship with God. Just say this morning, oh Lord Jesus, if I'm already saved, thank you. But if not, I just got to settle it this morning, and I do. Forgive me of my sins. Holy Spirit, come to live in me and empower me. Is my prayer in Jesus' name.